Good morning, and uh, welcome to Journey Church this morning. Good to have everybody with us. It's an awesome day uh, to worship, and uh, just an incredible uh, weekend, and been a full week, and uh, we're looking for another great week coming up. But today, uh, we are uh, studying the book of Colossians, and uh, we're going to be jumping into that in just in a second. Before I do that, though, I don't, I don't know if I've mentioned or not, uh, but uh, I have a granddaughter. Her name is Sophie, and uh, have I mentioned that before? I don't know. Anyway, she's eight months old, and uh, she can be a little rough. Our daughter-in-law, our daughter, excuse me, sent us a text the other day and said, uh, I just want you to know that Sophie, you know, she can be a little rough. Sometimes she can pull hair, pinch a little thing. You know, don't be too hard on her. I'm like, are you kidding? She can do no wrong at this point. You know, our eyes, you know, we, we love it. Uh, we're going to spend a whole week with her here coming up. Uh, but you know what? She's kind of, she's a baby, right? She's learning how to manage her motor skills figure out she can jerk your glasses off your face in a second, uh, do things like that. She's too young to know exactly what she's doing, too young to know, um, you know, how her actions are going to impact other people, uh, stick her finger in your eye or something like that, uh, or even how it's going to uh, affect herself at this point. But as she gets older, like every child, she's going to figure it out, you know, and she's going to start to process things more and more. Because anybody who has kids know that the, the maturing is a process, Right? of learning what we're to do as we're told and then be equipped to make decisions based on our knowledge and information that we have. Now, I share that not just to tell you about Sophie, but primarily because the same thing is true spiritually. It really is true spiritually that if we're going to mature in Christ, then we have to be able to think for ourselves. We have to be able to know what the Bible says, but we have to use discernment to determine what's right and what's wrong. And so we need knowledge, we need wisdom, and we need discernment. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Colossae, we've been talking about for a few weeks now, as well as several other churches and individuals to help them, inform them, but also to help them mature in their faith and to teach them what Christianity really is. And you know, the best way to know the real thing is to examine it closely and study it and know what it really is. And for example, I've never worked in a bank, but I'm told that whenever you do, uh, in order to know how to recognize counterfeit bills, which people try to in our day and age, print them, and sometimes we probably even you know, pass them without re- being, realizing it. But uh, a banker needs to know how to do that. And so what they do is they determine the feel and the look of the real thing, and they don't try to examine all the ways you could probably counterfeit money. And the same thing is true spiritually. What we try to do is tell you what the Bible has to say, knowing that there's a lot of counterfeit gospels out there, there's counterfeit cults and religions that we have to kind of be aware of, but primarily know what Christianity is. And so primarily that's where we spend our time studying the Bible. But to be honest with you, some of the fakes today are so good that we also every now and then to stop and look at some of the counterfeits gospels in our world. Now, most of us, having been Christians for a while, we might recognize blatant heresy. You know, when the Bible says one thing and culture says another, we're like, oh, that's obviously going to be wrong. But some of the counterfeits actually swing to the other extreme. And that's what we're going to be talking a little bit about today. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 16 through 23, we're going to look at some counterfeits to Christianity. And we're going to see how Satan works, even in people's good intentions, I believe, but also how that we can easily slip ourselves into some of these patterns. And I told first service, I'm going to offend you today. 
uh, because I've already offended myself a couple times in verse. So I'm going to offend you, especially if you've been a Christian for a while. You're going to walk out of here scratching your head and going, I don't know if I agree. But that's okay because you shouldn't agree with everything all the time, right? Unless it's Bible. And what I'm going to tell you is not going to contradict the Bible. So give me a little bit of, little bit of room here, all right? And now we're going, to, we're going to label some counterfeiters. And if this happens to be your name, don't take it personally or anything like that. Uh, but it just rhymes. It works out well, okay? So we're going to look at some counterfeits. And this isn't my doing. It's the Apostle Paul, so blame him. But we're going to read uh, beginning in verses 16 and 17 here and find some counterfeits to the gospel. And the first counterfeit we're going to identify is a guy we're going to call Legalistic Larry. Legalistic Larry. So if your name is Larry, it's a great name. Nothing personal. Just works out well. All right? So let's read Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So Paul is talking about a legalist, someone who would judge you or condemn you. And he talks about people here who would, would look at you and judge you on, on certain things that you might do. For example, he talks about days and diets here and how you shouldn't allow people to judge you. You know, I don't know about you, but I've been around people that I've felt very judged by. People that, that come across in a way that seem to have it all together but they look at me in a way that as if I don't, and I know how little I have to gather, but I don't like to feel that way around them anyway, right? And probably don't as well. But you know what I've discovered, though, is that people can only get away with what you let them get away with. If you don't let people get away with something or make you feel a certain way, uh, then they're not going to be able to do it. And Paul says that many of the things that people will judge you by are not real issues. In fact, here's how he said that some things are shadows and some things are reality. Now, in a lot of people's minds, shadows are worse than the reality, right? You see a shadow, you can get very afraid. When you see the real thing, it's not that terrifying. Or, you know, you've probably seen somebody do shadow figures, right, with their hands, you know, and you think it's a bunny. It's not. It's just their fingers they've stuck up there. So they, shadows represent something. Shadows are not real. Paul says there are some things that seem to be real, and they are to some people, but they're not in reality. In this case, certain things might represent Jesus, but he says Jesus is the reality. This will make sense in a few minutes, all right? Stay with me. What I believe is that a lot of religious people are mostly concerned with shadows, minor things that they think are important. And here's the examples that he gives. First one is about diet. Now, I'm not talking about going on a diet. I'm just talking about what you eat, so don't get worried yet, all right? I'm talking about the food that you eat. We know that diet can be a big deal to people. It can be a big part of their spiritual life. For example, the Jewish people. The Jewish people have a, a kosher diet, right, where they can eat some things and can't eat other things. For Muslims, they, their religion says no pork. For Hindus, theirs says no beef. For some people who are vegetarians, it's almost like their, their own religion. They can't eat any meat. And for vegans, I'm not sure they eat any real food at all. So you see, diet is a really big deal. Sorry if you're a vegan on that. Um, but uh, diet is a big deal. And Paul says, don't let people judge you on the food you eat. You know, so some of you, it's a judgment-free zone on your eating, all right? But diet was a big deal in that day. Let's go a step further in the idea of drink. Some would say you can never take a drink of alcohol. Others say you, you can do that in moderation. But it's something that is, is uh, controversial, right? So diet is, is mentioned. Then he also talks about days. 
about religious holidays. And that's a big deal to a lot of people, right? For example, let's look at uh, the Jehovah's Witness. Uh, they don't celebrate birthdays, and they don't celebrate, uh, celebrate Christmas, which really sounds like what some grouchy parent might say to their kids, no more birthdays and no more Christmases. We're not celebrating anything in this house, all right? No wonder that's, that's kind of a sad thing. So, but, but other people, you know, go beyond that, like for Christmas. So I've heard people, Christians say, you know, Jesus wasn't born on December the 25th, so we shouldn't celebrate that as, a, as, a, as his birthday, right? Or others say, you know, should we really celebrate Easter like we do? I mean, Easter's been so corrupted with eggs and bunnies and chicks and all that sort of thing. You know, why do we celebrate that? Or some people might say, well, you know, you, you guys don't celebrate Lent. And we don't. That's not a practice that we do. You don't celebrate, you know, the six weeks or whatever it is of Lent, giving up something for Lent. Not, not a part of our heritage. Or what about Good Friday? For many years, we didn't have a service at all, and, and we don't want to get legalistic about having a service. But people get very concerned about what you do or don't do on certain days. Here's another one for you. How about Halloween? Ever have any strange feelings about Halloween? We didn't celebrate Halloween a lot growing up, but we weren't adamant about it, but some people can't. I remember several years ago, and this goes back to a different generation of staff, I had to ban discussion of Halloween among our staff because it got that bad. And we were in a staff meeting, and Halloween would come up, and I mean, it was almost divided two for, two against Halloween. You know, it was ridiculous, and it got so adamant. Finally, I'm like, okay, we're not talking about Halloween anymore among our staff. Do it on your own if you want to do that. Uh, it was, I was joking, but I wasn't, right? What I've discovered, though, is that we can get very legalistic on issues that we don't have biblical proof of. We can really, if you're really adamant about those things, then there's not anything in the Bible one way or the other. And what it can do, it can really discourage non or young believers. And it can also steal the joy of everybody else. Because a lot of non-Christians don't understand, and they may think that believers are just weird because days are so important to them. And so Paul says, don't let people judge you on that, on things that they become legalistic about. Now, why do people, why do we become legalistic? This is really interesting, and I never thought a lot about this, but why do people become legalistic? Well, usually it begins with great intentions. I think all of these counterfeits really have great intentions. It begins with good intentions, and it usually starts with a personal struggle that we might have. So we have a personal struggle, and we decide we need to put some safeguards in our life so that we don't walk cross over the line, but the problem is then it becomes something for everybody. And I'm going to use this example, and some of you are going to agree and some are going to disagree. But I'm going to use the example of alcohol. For the example of alcohol, many people who are really legalistic about this would, would say they have a, a temptation or a struggle with alcohol that they are not able to say no whenever they take a drink. And so for them, make a rule to say, a wise rule, I'm, I'm going to abstain altogether. I'm not going to take a drink of anything, which is, which is a great rule. And if you have a problem, that's definitely what you should do. But then for a lot of people, it goes beyond that because it's not just that I personally shouldn't do that. It is a demand that other people have to accept my rules. No one can drink anything, uh, even if they're responsible about that. You just can't do it. And that the person who does drink, even responsibly, is sinning and judged and condemned by me. Now, let me clarify that to say I personally feel like that everybody should abstain from alcohol due to the, the problems I've seen, the causes, 
I've seen it done more harm than good. To be honest, you know, not good for the bourbon industry and the beer industry and the wine industry in our community. Uh, but that's just my personal feelings, all right? But the pro- I can't make a Bible case for it. I really can't. I, a legalist would try. But I personally cannot do that. And so there is freedom in that. Now, I do want to say that the Bible does condemn drunkenness in every sort. Just make that really super clear, all right? But a legalist would say, I have a problem with it, and so I shouldn't do it, and so you shouldn't do it either. And that's how much legalism begins. Now, that one is pretty obvious, right? I don't know how you feel about that. But then let, me, let me stir it up and offend some more people. Um, what about Bible translations? You know, a lot of us grew up on the King James Version, and it's a great translation for 1611. The problem is that a lot of us don't understand it today because it's, uh, it's Shakespeare language is what it is. But I've heard people say anything but the King James Version is the perversion of the Bible. And that simply isn't true. Uh, the modern versions, the reliable ones, are translated from the same manuscripts as the King James, just in modern language, all right? How about kids' education? You know, what, what, you know, some people say, well, if you are a Christian, you love your kids, you'll homeschool. Others would say, no, no, if you're, if you're a Christian, your kids ought to be in Christian school. Others would say, no, no, if you're a Christian, your kid ought to be in a public school so they can be salt and light to the community. I've heard everything. Every, people say, oh, adamant things and, and build a Bible case for that. I think you should decide for each child each year where your child needs to be educated, all right? Here's another one, if I hadn't offended you yet. Political parties. I can get you on this one, right? I heard people say, you know what? If you're really a Christian, you're going to be a Democrat. If you're really a Christian, you're going to be a Republican, right? Don't we deal with these issues all the time? We have to be careful about these sort of things, and we all can find ourselves there. You can have preferences, but don't let your preferences become your prejudices. Can I just repeat that? You can have preferences, but don't let your preferences become your prejudices. Always act on your own personal convictions, but don't impose them on other people unless they're in the Bible. Now, I will tell you that if you want to talk about something, I'll talk about it, and I will have an opinion on everything we talk about. Some of them will be based on Scripture. Some will be on my preferences. But I don't want to create rules or laws and impose on everyone else Because Paul says, don't let people judge you for that. Here's an example in the Bible. The Pharisees did a great job at this. They had identified 613 laws in the Torah, laws from God. There are a lot of laws. You get in the book of Leviticus and Numbers, man, a lot of laws there. But then they added hundreds of other laws to help clarify and complete God's law. Have you ever felt like that you needed to come along and clarify God's law and complete it because he left some vague things that you can fill in the blanks and you can, you know, straighten it and complete it. Obviously, we've all felt that way about some things that we feel strongly about, so everybody else should as well. Let me give you an example, a modern, modern example, I think about this, or, or the Amish. You know, the Amish have a very distinct lifestyle, right? The local elder makes the rules and everybody else has to comply. And that could mean the same color pants, the same color shirt, coat, dress, hat, no zippers, nothing flashy. That's kind of the, the world that they live in. People are also leaving that, those orders quite often. Here's the problem is that when we make a rule to protect ourselves or other people, it takes away people's freedom. And they don't have the right to choose. And, and, the, and it leads to one of two things. Either they fall in line and they have no joy 
or they rebel, one or the other. And if you will look at communities like this, you will see that there's not a lot of joy or the people leave at one of the others. Let me just say this before I leave this. Marilyn Manson went to Christian school. So did Katy Perry. Case made. If you want to be a legalistic person, just remember this. God's laws are for everyone. My laws are for me. All right? That's the first counterfeit. The second one, we're going to call her Mystical Mary. Mystical Mary. Let's, let's go on in our scripture. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with the idle notions by their unspiritual minds. They have lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. So there is the legalist on one hand, and then there's the person who is so spiritual that they look down on anybody else. Paul says, don't let anybody who delights in false humility and angel worship disqualify you saying you're not spiritual enough. Have you ever been around somebody like that that just came across as being so super spiritual, just, so, just almost annoying to the point that you're like, okay, that, I've had about enough there. That kind of person kind of wears your eye out, right? Maybe I'm the only one that's been around those people. But I've been around people like that that attribute everything to God or, the, or a devil. There's an angel here. There's a demon behind that post. They're always talking about following the Spirit, you know, even on mundane things, you know. These simple things I found, you know, I found when I was looking for in the grocery store. The, I followed the Spirit, and he led me there to it. I, I don't believe that the Spirit is involved in every mundane thing of our life. Always being condescending, always condemning to those people who are not as spiritual as they are. Paul goes on to say people who claim to have visions, new revelation, God speaks are directed to them, arrogant, and with idle notions, unspiritual mind. You know, I've been around these people, and maybe it's because I'm around a lot of preachers, you know? A lot of preachers can come across like this. You guys know I'm not that great a guy to start with, so I'm not going to try to impress you, overly impress you with something. But the reality is that, that sort of attitude is very judgmental. Paul says that's not the real thing. Not the real thing. It's kind of like some other counterfeits. This doesn't seem so bad on the surface. I mean, how can you get too spiritual? Is it possible to be too spiritual? Probably not in the right way. And again, I think kind of like legalistic Larry, it starts innocently enough. Somebody wants to get closer to God, but they create this spiritual experience that doesn't necessarily lead to Jesus. Jesus, And then they hold this out as some requirement for everybody else. If you were a real Christian, you would do this. You would believe this. You would think that. You would do something that's elusive from everybody else. You know, to be honest with you, I think some people do this, even with something like speaking in tongues. And they use this as a litmus test for salvation for everybody. Or fasting and, um, and condemning those people who don't fast. I mean, how many of us fast like we ought to? How many of us fast at all? But for people who do fast, it almost becomes a, a test to say, well, you're not as spiritual because you don't fast like me. Or sub, uh, smugly implying that they know some spiritual information that other people don't have access to. Like they figured out the exact time that Jesus is going to come back Are they claim to have spiritual powers over demons? I knew a lady one time, every time we talked, we talked 
about casting out demons, you know, that, that she was involved in. It was a little bit overwhelming. Or they had this exclusive relationship with God that other people can never have. That's the sort of legalistic and mystical thing that Paul says, don't let people do that to you. Don't let people look down on you because of that. Now, the danger with this counterfeit is that it can lead to spiritual abuse. It can lead to inappropriate influence and control and actions, and in some cases, even sexual abuse. And I say that because of the clergy abuse that we hear about all the time. Someone who has more spiritual authority over other people, some clergyman or some church leader even that's going to help a woman out of her problems or help somebody, you know, uh, overcome their challenges or whatever it is. And that sort of thing, you can easily see how they can cross over and be dangerous. Fake messiahs, even cults that have a spiritual influence. For example, and this is, is an extreme, but Charlie Manson, you know, back many years ago, convinced his followers that he was Jesus. And he recruited young men and young women as well, and he led them into orgies, sex orgies, and drug-fueled robberies and murder. They killed nine people, and uh, they're still trying to get out of jail today. So, I mean, that's pretty extreme, but the reality is that Satan loves it when people are spiritual as long as they don't get too close to Jesus. And we're living in a world today where there are a lot of spiritual people, mystical type people who love spiritual things, but who don't know Jesus, and they're not even trying to get closer to him. So be aware of those who present an overtly spiritual persona, mystical Mary. Here's a third one, minimalist Martha. Minimalist, minimalist Martha. Here, here's what Paul says, since you have died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with us, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Now, we don't know what was going on in the Colossian church, but evidently, Epaphras, who came to talk to Paul, said, we got some weird things happening. We got legalistic people, we got mystical people, and we have some people that are trying to create their own you know, version of Christianity by self-imposed worship and false humility and mistreating them, their physical bodies. They're, they're minimalist in some way. It's weird. Now, keep in mind that the Jews in that day lived their entire life by control by a lot of different rules, man's rules as well as God's rules. And one of the benefits of the new covenant in Christ was a new freedom. So Paul says to them, since you have died with Christ to the elemental spiritual force of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Don't handle, don't touch, don't taste. And he says all these are human rules and teaching and commands. All of them have the appearance of wisdom and, and, and wisdom and worship and humility and everything, but that's not true. You know, some people love to have rules. They love to crack down on things. And, and like we saw, saw before, all of us need rules. We all need parameters in our lives to keep us on the right track. But our Christian life is not based on rules, it's based on relationship. That's where we can get mixed up. It's not, you can keep all the rules in the world, and if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you're missing something. 
Again, this, like all the other counterfeits, starts with really good intentions and even a hint of Christianity. But soon it can go quickly off track, very quickly. You know, I asked for service and they'd never heard of this, so maybe it's just something Lori and I watch every now and then. Anybody heard of the show called Leaving Polygamy? Anybody heard of that? Lori and I alone, there are two people who watch this show, but it's really interesting. <laughs> we don't watch it all the time, don't think we're weird. But in this particular show, we are weird, but not because of this, all right? In this particular show, it's, it's a real, real show about people who are leaving the fundamentalist church of Latter-day Saints, which is a branch of Mormonism. The prophet and the, the, uh, the president of that organization, his name is Warren Jeffs, and he's in prison, has been for a few years, and will be there for several more, for rape of girls as young as 12 years old that he has married. Uh, he has uh, 80 wives and I think 55 children or so. And he continues to run this cult from within prison through manipulation and punishment, um, things like banishing them from other members of the family, uh, the ban of phones and internet, so you can't have those, you can't communicate, forced separation from family, and they have all these rules that he has created. He is their spiritual leader and their father in many ways, and he's created all these rules and he enforces them through intimidation. And when you watch his show, you're like, it is really hard to believe that people will allow themselves to be controlled like that. It's hard to imagine that people would put themselves under that kind of authority and actually do what he says to do, but they obviously do, and it's very common. And he holds out the enticement or the goal of them becoming gods. And one of their walls, is, this is what was written, as man is, God once was. As God is, man may become. And that's kind of the, the theme of their, their, their work. But to do that, you have to be a submissive member of their authority, of their church. Basically, it is a church. And so we see how far off track it can go, right? But you might say, well, I like rules. Aren't rules important? Yes, they are. They're very important, but only if they're based on the Bible. If they are based on human commandment and human teaching, they're not important to us. Because the problem is that rules will not change us. I can impose all the rules in the world, and you might even keep them, but they're not going to change you. Your behavior may change a little bit, but the heart can be the same. And when problems come up, we're all going to revert back to the same actions because we haven't changed. We just changed our, the way we were behaving at the time. Let me give you an example of this that we talk about uh, sometime in, in Celebrate Recovery. Those people who struggle with addiction can't just depend on avoiding the drug of their choice. If they could do that and all the repercussions, they would already have done that. So they're going to do their best not to take this pill or drink this alcohol or whatever it is. However, to really be successful, they have to find their higher power. They have to find God. That's the real clue. Because I can say, no, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to do that behavior that's addictive, that's destructive. I don't want to take that pill or whatever. I don't want to do that. And that will only last for so long because that's a rule. You can't do it. But the problem is, one of the steps of recovery is I have to admit that I am powerless to resist this whatever it is, this thing that I'm addicted to. And the only way to overcome, one of the next steps, is to find the higher power and, and submit and, uh, to his authority. So you see, we don't just starve the body and change. We don't just limit ourselves with rules. It has to come from within us, from a changed heart. So when we, we're transformed by Christ, it's in us, and then it begins to reflect outside of us. 
Now, there's still other people who see the body in an inherently evil way and try to make their body suffer to atone for evil. They want to limit themselves. In fact, it's called mortification of the flesh. Maybe you've heard of this. Mortification of the flesh has different levels. The simplest form is denying yourself certain pleasures, such as permanently or temporarily abstaining from something, like fasting. That would be a, a simple way of mortification of the flesh. Fasting from food, from alcoholic beverages, from sexual relations, or maybe some area of life that a person might think their personal spiritual life uh, is more difficult because of that. In other words, if you, know, you, you may decide, I'm going to fast because I need to discipline my mind and my body. And so that's a really simple way of, of doing that and limiting yourself. But it can also go deeper than that as well. Uh, it can be choosing an impoverished lifestyle, uh, being a minimalist, not having hardly anything, giving everything away, a vow of poverty that some people might do. Or also, and I didn't know this, uh, but it can also be uh, like wearing a, what's called a hair shirt. You know, most of us, if you have an item of clothing that irritates you, you get rid of it. You give it away or throw it away or something. But there are people who choose to minimalize their life and punish themselves by wearing, intentionally wearing clothes made out of hair, I assume, that are uncomfortable. So they're never really comfortable. And that's a way of punishing themselves for their sin. Or even more severe, and you've probably heard of this, using what's called a discipline, which is a whip, and they beat themselves with that whip. Now that's kind of extreme, right? But in their mind, what they're doing is they are limiting their, their comfort or themselves and they're suffering to make themselves uh, more in line with what God wants. And that's a little bit weird, right? But people actually do that. Or maybe other people, more not quite that extreme, have a poverty theology by saying, you know, the less you have, the closer to God you are. And so you're going to give it all away, which is nothing wrong with being a minimalist. Most of us are far from being minimalist, minimalist right? I know that, that we are very far from that. This morning, I, my son texted me, and, and they're leaving uh, South Korea on Saturday or Friday or Saturday and moving uh, to, to uh, Hong Kong, but they're going to be here for a week. Uh, but he was saying, Dad, we're, uh, it's been fun. We're getting rid of everything we have. I'm like, well, that doesn't sound like fun to me to get rid of everything I have. But he said, it's been a while since we did that, you know, and so it's good for us. And so you don't want to move a bunch of stuff from one country to the U.S. and then back to another country. And so they, they just don't do that. And I said, that would probably be a hard thing for us to do. Not because we have a lot, just because we've got junk nobody else wants. We'd have to pay them to take it, probably. But what, what that says is thinking our poverty will get us closer to God, that's a work salvation. That God's going to love me more because I have less. Now, we should have less, probably, but God's not going to love us anymore. We are saved by grace through faith in Christ Jesus alone. There's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And the reason why I wanted to share uh, legalistic Larry and mystical Mary and minimalist Martha with you is because they all sound good on the surface. And the reason I told you I probably would offend you is because I probably did already. I, I was offended. Some of those things I talked about, I thought, yeah, I've done that. I think that. I feel that way. I look at other people like that way. Thinking our poverty will get us closer to God is not going to work. Not going to work. And each of us can establish a counterfeit gospel in our mind based on what we think is best and the rules that we like. But all of them are just trying to, to merit salvation and win it. And you know what? It's even worse when we try to impose, impose those preferences on other people because it always comes out badly. 
Yes, we need to balance our lives. We need to control our bodies. But we don't need to, to uh, see our bodies negatively. Why? Because the human body isn't inherently wrong. Jesus came in a body. He had a human body for 30 some, 33 years. He used his body to glorify God. He broke some man-made laws. He did. He did it, I think, you know, cheerfully a little bit. What you could and couldn't eat and when and what you could and couldn't do, he, he didn't really care about some of those man-made laws. He kept God's laws, but not man's. He was spiritual, but he didn't spiritualize everything. He enjoyed life. He had food, drink, friendships, and went to parties. And I think that maybe was one of the other reasons why he was hated by some religious people in that day, because he didn't fit their stereotype. Certainly, we want to discipline our bodies, but we don't depend on making ourselves perfect through our actions. It just isn't going to work. Because we have to look to Jesus to change the innermost part of us, our heart, and then we let his Holy Spirit lead our conscience to help us change our thoughts and our actions and our conversation. Now, these are just a few ways that, that Paul brought them up. I didn't bring them up, didn't create them. Paul did, but it's interesting to look at them and some things that we're susceptible to, I think, especially as Christians. We can't know all of them, just like we can't know all the ways to counterfeit a dollar bill, but we can know the genuine gospel, and we can hold strong to it. And the way to do that is to learn to recognize the real thing. And then we'll notice anything that's different, and we'll know, wow, that's, that's not what God's calling me to do, and He doesn't call me to live like that. Recognize the genuine thing when you see it in others, but also by experience. And that really is the only way that we can know who Jesus wants, by knowing Him, loving Him, studying Him, growing close to Him, and letting His Spirit move in us. In just a second, we're going to go and we're going to do the real thing. We're going to come and have a time when we commune with Christ. And we invite you, if you're a believer, to join us in that. Every Sunday, we open the Lord's table up and we invite you through Christ's invitation to come and to share in the time of communion. It's a special time that we do every week, a chance for us to commune, literally, communicate with God, to think about what He has done for us, and to share in the emblems. And so what our, our tradition is we ask you to come forward to do that and then just circle back to your seats. If you're not comfortable getting up, you'd like someone to bring it to you, our, our deacons would be glad to do that as well, and just raise your hand and, uh, and, and they'll bring it to you. But it's a time for us to remember the body and the blood of Jesus that was broken for us. And we take the piece of bread and the cup of juice. It's a reminder to us of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ that was given for us for our salvation. And it was a huge sacrifice. And it was an important thing that he did that we get a chance to now share in as we commune with him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just come to this, uh, this time of communion. It's to be a climax in our service, Lord. Because it's, uh, it's really helping us discern and think about what Christ did for us. God, we are so blessed that we can remember and that we can enjoy and participate in the sufferings of Christ by dying to self and being buried with Christ and being raised with Christ. And Lord, now we celebrate that death of Jesus. May it be a death to our own sin. May it be a death death to our own pride, our own legalism, our own self-imposed humility or fake humility. God, help us just to genuinely seek you in all these things. And Lord, may we find you in this moment, this time. God, may we never depend upon ourselves 
our rules, our goodness, our, our most, our least. May we always depend upon you. And I pray these things in Christ's name.